All right, appreciate that singing. And uh, if you have your Bibles, open them up to Mark chapter number two. And as you're turning to Mark chapter number two, just a quick update on our missionaries, the Skeen family. As you know, they are going to Russia, but they are currently in the Ukraine where they've been studying the language for, uh, for a while now. And uh, I've been following his updates and they are safe. Uh, he has, he obviously was in one place where he was doing his college work and he moved to another place before everything uh, as rumors were starting to fly and things were starting to take place. And, uh, and so then he went and joined his family a little bit later in that place. And I'm, I'm not telling you the names, not because I don't want you to know, because I don't remember. Number one. Number two, they are all weird names and I cannot pronounce them. So uh, that's why I'm not giving you the names. But um, and then I've been following his updates, and he has since moved to another town that's kind of more in the mountainous region, even farther away from uh, Russia and the onslaught uh, that is coming. And so uh, he is safe, and, uh, and he's, he's, he does not want to, but if necessary, he is ready to cross over into Hungary. Um, and he will be safe there. And so they are being safe, uh, but continue to pray for them, pray for all the missionaries that are in, Ru in, in uh, the Ukraine as well as those in Russia and uh, pray for the Christians and uh, those just in uh, the lost, really. I mean, you think about this, um, many of the lost are, are, boy, they're meeting death even more quickly and how much more they need to hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so keep the whole situation in prayer, and, uh, and especially our missionaries that are over there, and I know that that will certainly be appreciated. And so I just wanted to give you that update as I've been kind of following and keeping up with Brother Skeen to know what's going on, and my heart does go out to him in, in, in that situation. So uh, keep that in prayer, and I know that he'll appreciate that. Mark chapter number 2. And uh, I've, I know for a fact I've preached out of this uh, in the past, I, right here even in our church, and I did not go back and look at my outline, but I do know this, that this is a new outline, all right? So even if I preached out of this before, uh, I was reading over this and studying, and, and really the, the Lord spoke to my heart on this passage. And I want to look at one, well, let's read Mark chapter 2 and verse number 1, and uh, we'll read the first few verses here, and uh, I'm sure you will recognize the, the, the story of what is going on. The Bible says in Mark chapter number 2 in verse number 1, and again he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noised that he was in the house. And straightway many were gathered together, insomuch that there was no room to receive them, no, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. And they came unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, they let down the, the, the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Let's just stop right there and let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for, again, the privilege that we have to be in your house 
gathered around your word. God, I pray that you would just bless each and every person that's here this morning, each and every person that's tuned in online, whether they call in or uh, watch online. God, I pray that you would use me. I pray, Father, that you would speak through me. God, I pray that our hearts would be sensitive and open to your Holy Spirit and to your moving, Father. And God, will be careful to give you the honor and glory for all that's said and done. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. I find when I, uh, when I preach through the life of Christ or when I uh, read and study and track the movements of Jesus Christ, I, I'm always amazed at his life. And I'm amazed at different things that uh, really come about. One of the things as I was reading this and, and one of the things that stuck out to me just by way of introduction is you go there in verse number one and it says, and again he entered into Capernaum. And I remember, uh, because it was not that long ago that we had just looked at Capernaum, and he had been in Capernaum before. That's where I believe Simon lived, and Simon's mother-in-law was healed. And so I believe it was right in Simon's house. That's just my thoughts. The Bible doesn't give us any real clear, definite answers on that. But you'll remember in Capernaum, when he was there before, it was on a Sabbath day, and he went into the synagogue, and he cleansed the man that was demon-possessed. And then afterwards, they all went out and they went to Simon's house and, uh, and after sunset. And you say, well, why is that important? Again, I had mentioned it before because the Jewish day was measured from sunset until the next sunset. So at sunset, then it was no longer Sabbath day. It would have been the following day. And then they were allowed to bring all of their sick people because you remember, a Jew could only walk so far on the Sabbath day. He could only do so many things. He was very limited on the Sabbath day. So that sun going down, then they would bring all of those sick people to Jesus. And you remember that uh, they were lining up outside of the door. And, uh, and, and boy, there was a lot. And I don't know how it came about that they finally shut it down. But they shut it down. And uh, the next day, Jesus went out for prayer. And you'll remember that Peter went to find him. And, and Jesus said, you know what? I want to go into another place. And then last week we looked at the leper that was healed and how his life was changed and how he went and he told everyone and Jesus could no longer enter into that place because the amount of people that would swarm him. So now after all of that, he has returned back to Capernaum where he was at Simon's house. And we see here, the Bible says in verse number one, uh, that it was noise that he was in the house. And you could imagine because he had just been there not too long ago, maybe a week had passed, maybe two weeks had passed, but even if a year had passed, surely those who had been healed would remember the name Jesus Christ and that he was the one that had healed them. And so when Jesus came back to this house of Simon Peter's, boy, the word began to spread. Oh, Hey, that guy that healed my, my friend, he's back in town. Hey, that, that miracle worker, hey, he's back. And, and surely uh, it would have been uh, very, very much so spread abroad as it says there in our text. And so as we find that, uh, I want you to notice this, because sometimes we'll look at this and we'll say, man, uh, if we could just replicate that. Well, we can't replicate everything that Jesus did. We can't go out and heal people like Jesus did. 
But we look at it and we say, wow, just because of Jesus' mere presence. But I think it was all the previous groundwork that had been laid. And as we look at that, may we be reminded that, listen, sometimes reaching souls with the gospel requires plowing up the ground. And a farmer, he doesn't go out and he doesn't just plant seed in the ground and the next day go out and reap the harvest. You understand that a lot of work goes into that farming and, and, and the, uh, the result is often delayed by many months and much labor that has taken place from the first day that he had to turn over those fallow fields and turn over all that ground that was hard and, and put the nutrients back in the soil and then take and plant the seed and then water it and watch it grow and all of the work. And so what I'm saying is there was a lot of groundwork that took place before we get to chapter 2 that Jesus and the disciples had already accomplished. So then we find them gathering in the house. We find that there was a great crowd and I love this verse. The Bible says there in verse number 2, and straightway many were gathered together insomuch that there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door. And look at the last phrase, and he preached the word Unto them. I don't think I ever noticed that before. But Jesus was intent not just on healing their infirmities. Though Jesus did care for those who were hurting. There's no doubt about it. But he was intent on preaching the word of God to the crowds that would gather. And I think what an important focus that Jesus had on the preaching of the Word of God. And listen, the preaching is certainly something that, were, that is important. And, uh, and they were certainly gathered because they wanted to be healed. As it says in Mark 1.32, and they brought them uh, unto him that were diseased. So they certainly had known that he could heal. But, but he uh, emphasized the fact that, hey, the preaching needs to take place. And I'm not against social ministering. I think there's value in ministering. I think people do not know how much you care until they, uh, or they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. I think you have to uh, help people and I think you ought to be kind to people and I think there's a place for social ministering but I, I think it should never displace the preaching of the Word of God. And Jesus was very much aware of that and kept that balance in his ministry. But all of that brings us to the focal point that I would like to look at this morning. And, and that was that this man that was sick of the palsy was brought to Jesus Christ. And, and of course there was not room there. And so they would open the roof and they would lower this man down to Jesus. But in verse number 5, and I know I've seen it before, but I've not focused on it like I did the, uh, as I was looking at this. The Bible says in verse number 5, when Jesus saw their faith he said unto the sick of the palsy son thy sins be forgiven thee and I want to preach this morning on evidence of your faith evidence of your faith when Jesus saw 
their faith. That would be more than one, and I believe that would be the four men that were probably carrying this man that was sick of the palsy. Now, what did those four men believe? And, uh, and really, how is, how is faith visible? Now, you could argue, uh, well, Jesus is God, and therefore he can see your faith. And there might be very much so some truth to that. But I think there was evidence of their faith in the actions that they displayed and some of the things that they had done. And that's what I want to focus on this morning, is seeing their faith and the evidence that we should have of our faith. The first thing I want us to notice about the, their faith that was visible is what they believed about a sinner what they believed about a sinner. Uh, you look at this man, and we're, uh, I'll just say it for time's sake, we'll simplify, that this man undoubtedly was a sinner because Jesus said, thy sins be forgiven thee. And we know that every person is a sinner. Every person has done wrong. Every person has messed up in their life. But I want you to notice this, that, uh, that this was a, uh, it was a coordinated, concentrated, committed effort to bring this sinner to the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of that, it shows what they believe to be true about this man. What did they believe to be true? Number one, I think uh, the belief about the sinner was that he was helpless. Palsy's mentioned some six times in the, or in six different passages in the New Testament. I think it's mentioned some 20 times in the Bible, and they're always in the New Testament, and those are all spread out over six passages in our passage here. It's mentioned various times in various verses, uh, probably four, four times just in this passage, but over six different passages, and little really is known of palsy that's mentioned in the Bible. We do know this, it was a debilitating disease and much uh, that would leave a person paralyzed, unable to move, many times uh, unable to control themselves. If you ever heard of Bell's palsy, it will take half of your face and, and it will make it so that you, cannot, you can't control it. And you can smile with half your face, but the other half just doesn't move. And, uh, and I'm, I'm amazed. Uh, I, I like some of this stuff, so I'm curious by nature, and I look some of this stuff up, and, and I thought, well, what do we know about Bell Palsy? Maybe it was kind of related. When I looked it up on some of the top scientific sites in 2022, they said, not much is known about what causes Bell's Palsy. And you say... Wait a minute, with all the technological advances in our medicine that we have, why don't we know something about this? Well, we don't. And so uh, it would not be unusual that we would probably not know much about palsy in Bible times either. We don't know if it's a virus, a bacterial infection, or, uh, or heredital, uh, a hereditary condition that would be passed down. We just don't know much about it other than the fact from the Bible that it would leave people uh, with the inability to move in their life on their own. In other words, many times uh, they would be paralyzed, we'll assume probably from the neck down and unable to control their arms and therefore not able to walk, uh, not able to walk with their legs, not able to move themselves or even with their hands as they were unable to control their own, um, their own body and, their, and their, their muscles. As I thought about that, I thought, man, this man was helpless. 
We know that from a fact that the, the, those men, those disciples, would grab a, a carpet and they would carry this man all the way from where he was to Jesus Christ. This man, without the aid of other people, would never have made it to where Jesus was. He was helpless. And these men believed that he would be helpless. Not only did they believe he would be helpless, but I want you to notice as well that he would be, they believed that he would be hopeless. Helpless in that he could not help himself, but hopeless in that he would live the rest of his life with absolutely no hope of getting better, of recovering the movement, of being able to help himself, of his life just deteriorating and not getting better in the end. Now you take those two things and I just want you to think about this. Boy, that's where a lot of sinners are. And you think about their life, they are literally, many of them are, are helpless to help themselves, spiritually speaking. And because they are unable to help themselves, therefore they are hopeless that their life will change and that their life will be different and that their life will get any better than what it currently is. And because of that, hey, we ought to recognize and realize that these disciples of Jesus Christ that carried this man... They believe this man to be helpless. They believe this man to be hopeless. Boy, we ought to look at the lost. And we ought to recognize they're helpless. You realize it's our responsibility to get the gospel to the lost and dying world. And without us, they will not hear about Jesus Christ. And without, without those four disciples, this man never would have seen Jesus Christ face to face. But they brought him to him. And I'm just saying that, hey, they had a belief about this sinner that he was helpless and that he was hopeless. And then listen, the Bible would tell us very clearly about sinners that not only are they helpless... And and hopeless, but lastly, they're hell-bound as well. Boy, we need to recognize that. Flip over with me, save your spot here in Mark chapter number 2, and go with me just forward a few, chap a few pages to chapter number 9. And as Christians, we ought to recognize and realize that hell is a real place and that it is a real place of fire. And the Bible says in Mark chapter number 9 and verse number 43 towards the end of the chapter, Jesus is speaking and he's giving some truths in this chapter. And he says, and if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. In verse number 43, Mark 9, 43. And if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. Verse 45, and if thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter halt into life than having two feet to be cast into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where their worm dieth not, and their fire, and the fire is not quenched. Verse 47, if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out. It is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire, and where their worm dieth not, and the fire 
is not quenched. For every one shall be salted with fire, and every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. Salt is good, but if the salt have lost his saltiness, wherewith will ye season it? Have salt in yourselves, and have peace one with another. We need to understand and realize that sinners are lost and they're bound for a place of eternal torments called hell. The Bible says where the fire is not quenched and where their worm dieth not. In other words, hey, they will constantly feel the, the pain and torments of the flame in hell for all eternity. And we need to understand that because, listen... Our belief about the sinner, that they're helpless, hopeless, and hellbound, is what is going, what ought to drive us to bring them to Jesus Christ. That we don't want them to be helpless. We don't want them to be hopeless. We don't want them to be hellbound in their life. And we see the faith, uh, what their belief about the sinner. I want you to notice as well, not just their faith about the sinner or their belief about the sinner, but I want you to notice also their belief about the Savior. Now, we won't spend a lot of time here because it's something that we know very well. But first and foremost, we know this, that Jesus Christ will make a difference and he provides a heavenly home for all eternity. We like that. Praise the Lord. I mean, if you're saved and you're born again, praise the Lord. We are bound for that home. He said in John chapter, uh, chapter number 14 and verse number 1, he said, uh, Let not your hearts be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house were many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Praise the Lord. Man, if you're saved, then he's preparing a place for you right now. Hey, that's a blessing. And Jesus makes a difference of our eternity. We're no longer hell-bound. We're heaven-bound. We're looking for a different place. We're looking for a home eternally with the Lord Jesus Christ. And what a difference that Jesus Christ can make. And they believe that, hey, this man's destiny could be changed from being hell-bound to being heaven-bound if they were to get him to Jesus Christ. And in fact, his life was changed. Jesus said, thy sins be forgiven thee. Praise the Lord for the change of destiny. And he's heaven bound now. But not only that, by the way, and we know this to be true, that Jesus is the only way. He goes down in verse number uh, 6 of John chapter 14 that I gave you the first few verses. And he says, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And it's only through Jesus Christ that anyone can be saved. It's not through joining Anchor Baptist Church. It's not through some other church or denomination. It's not through baptism. It's not through good works. And we know this to be true. The Bible is very clear that eternal life is purchased by Jesus Christ and His shed blood on Calvary. So we know that Jesus is the only way to change a life. They believed this about, this, about Jesus. They believed that this sinner was bound for hell and that he was hopeless and that he was helpless. And, and we find that uh, they believed that Jesus would change the path and make him heaven bound. We think that, uh, we believe this as well, that Jesus would provide hope. Hope in that 
not eternal salvation, not a, well, I hope I make it to a heaven, but hope for tomorrow. We've said it, and I'll say it again, I'm amazed how people go through life and don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as their own personal Savior and go through the struggles. Even over the past um, two years, all the craziness that has been in the news, you know what? I'm glad that I don't have to understand every single thing. My hope is not placed in the media or the government or science or some other thing. My hope in the end is placed in Jesus Christ that He'll carry me day to day to day. I'm not talking about eternity in heaven. We know that's settled. We know that that is taken care of. I'm, taking, I'm talking about hope in this life that He can help us. And Jesus certainly does give us hope in this life. The Bible says in Titus 2.13, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Listen, life is sustained by hope. These, these men that brought this sick of the palsy to Jesus believed that Jesus would uh, make him heaven bound, but Jesus would also offer him hope in this life. In other words, he would be healed, yes, but even after that, hey, he's still going to have struggles. He's still going to have hard times. He's still going to go through difficulties in this life until he makes it to heaven. But Jesus provides the hope from day to day. And they believe that this Savior, Jesus Christ, would give that hope that he would need. And this is more obvious, that Jesus would give him the help that he needs. These men didn't grab this sick of the palsy and carry him all the way to Jesus saying, well, I don't know. Jesus has been about 50-50 lately. I don't know if he'll be able to heal your case. No. No, they knew. Hey, Jesus, Jesus didn't turn anyone down. And everyone that went to Jesus, their life was changed. They knew that Jesus Christ was the answer. They knew that this man would be healed and he would be helped. And from that day forward, hey, he wouldn't, he wouldn't be healed today and then uh, be sick again tomorrow. They knew that this healing would be a permanent healing of this man. His life would be changed for the rest of his life. And what I'm saying is, hey, Jesus does heal and he does help and he, and he does provide hope and he does provide a place in heaven. And I'm just saying that uh, these men, it was evident, their faith was evident because they brought this man all the way from wherever he was all the way to Jesus Christ. And so their faith was evident because they knew, Jesus knew, well, these men believe in me. And we know that because he brought them to him. They believed that the sinner was helpless, hopeless, and hell-bound. They believed that the Savior was, uh, was able to make him heaven-bound and give him hope and give him help. Lastly, I want you to notice this about their faith. Not only the, their belief about the sinner and their belief about the Savior, but I want us to focus on this just for a few moments, and that is their belief about their service. This is where the rubber meets the road. What do we believe about our service to the Lord? 
Well, we're, we're clear that, hey, listen, if a sinner doesn't get saved, that they're going to be, uh, they're going to be helpless and hopeless in their life, and they are hell-bound, and we, we understand that. And we understand that uh, the Savior is the one that is able to change them. The Savior is the one that's able to give them help and give them hope in this life. But when it comes down to uh, you and I, these four men, they believed that, hey, they had the service and the ability to take this man from where he was to Jesus Christ. They not only thought about that, but they felt the weight of that responsibility upon their, their shoulders. What transpired in all of this? Well, we don't exactly know. Why, where, where, where were these disciples when they ran into this man? We don't exactly know. Maybe word was spreading. Maybe they, I mean, Jesus was in town and they were staying in Simon's house and maybe they had to go out and buy some more food and Jesus sent them to the markets. And as they went out to the markets, they were out there and they were buying and, and maybe they saw this man that was a beggar there uh, that was unable to go anywhere and he would just sit there with maybe even a little, uh, a little pot setting out there for people to give coins to and, and he wasn't even able to collect it after they gave it because he was sick of the palsy and he couldn't move and he couldn't do anything and maybe they saw him and for whatever reason it touched their heart and they said maybe they stopped and talked to him maybe they said hey man you know Jesus is in town he's staying down here at Simon Peter's house I'll give you the address it's uh, right down on 3rd street I don't know what the address was and the sick of the palsy said, well, it's great, but I can't get there. I, I, I don't have any way. I don't have anybody to move me. And I love it, but I, I can't go. And these men could have very well said, well, you know, well, tell you what, we'll, we'll send some people back for you. We'll see if we can, maybe, maybe if you talk to your people and, hey, we'll have our people get in touch with your people and we'll organize it and orchestrate it so that, so that you can uh, be sure that to, to go where Jesus is and, and, and meet him. These men didn't do any of that. They felt the weight of their responsibility to physically grab this guy's blanket, grab this guy's couch, grab this guy's whatever it was, each of them on a corner, and pick him up right then and there and take him to Jesus Christ. They believed it was their responsibility to help, to physically get involved. They went out of their way. I don't know who these men were. I believe personally that they were probably disciples of Jesus Christ. I don't know that they were part of the 12, but there were many disciples. There were many people that followed Jesus. We don't really know, but I'm just saying that, uh, that they were in contact with this man and they believed it was their responsibility to physically help and get him there. Listen, we have got to be in contact with people. We have got to be reaching people. Uh, could you imagine if, if a missionary came and he said, well, you know, I'm not going to go to the field. I'm just going to send emails, send letters. And I'm going to communicate with them on, uh, on video chat. No, listen, there has got to be some physical getting out and getting involved with people. And we, we, we have got to get out. and We've got to get involved. And we've got to reach people. 
Listen, I'm grateful for social media. I'm grateful for the, the fact that you can do many things with the internet and TV and radio, but I, can I tell you something? While all of those things are a help and while all of those things are, are good and they're, they're things that will aid, but they do not complete and meet our responsibility to reach the world with the gospel. We have got to interact with other people. These disciples interacted with this man and they physically carried him to Jesus Christ. What an example. They believed that they were the answer to this man's problem. They were able to help him. Not only that, they believed that they could give hope to this man. I mean, granted, he was sick of the palsy. They could have just grabbed him and carried him, and he couldn't have stopped him. But I think this man was just as much on board with going as the fact that they were helping him. And they told him, look, we've got a fella who can change your life. And they believed that they were responsible for instilling hope to this man that was sick of the palsy. And as we look at it, Jesus said... Jesus saw their faith and said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Oh, we believe that the lost are lost. We believe that they're sinners. We believe that they're hellbound. We believe that they're helpless and hopeless. Though many times we do like to remove ourselves from that and not think about it because it's not a pleasant thought. We believe that Jesus Christ is the only hope. I mean, there's no doubt about it. That's one of the things that we talk about frequently in our church. And we, we all believe that Jesus Christ is the answer. None of us would deny that. And that He can provide help and that He can provide hope and that He can uh, provide a home in heaven. There's no doubt about that. But when it comes down to us and our service, hey, these guys had faith in themselves that it's our job to physically help this man and to give him hope in Jesus Christ. And so many times we like to put it off to other people or think, well, it's their responsibility or somebody else will reach them. Listen, the disciples could have walked by. They could have said, well, you know, some other disciples will see him. His family, they, they're the ones that should bring him to church. Somebody else should bring him to church. No, these disciples said, you know what? It's our responsibility to help this man and give him hope in Jesus Christ. And what they believed about themselves was evident in their actions and what they did to help this man. What about us? How, how, how instrumental do we believe that we are in bringing people to Christ? Well, I, I firmly believe, we, we all believe the same, that sinners are lost. We, we know that. We all believe that Jesus is the Savior and that He's able to save. But when it comes down to our service, we, we don't think about it as much. We don't put it into the, the aspect of faith and our availability to the Lord Jesus Christ. As we stand to our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed.
Is your faith evident? What you believe about the sinner, the Savior, and your service, shoes to the faith. We pray. We give out gospel tracts. We post on social media. We put stuff out there. But sometimes it's going to boil down to us helping other people and being a witness. Father, I pray that you'd help us. God, I pray that you'd help us to be aware that we, we are, in an essence, the gospel to the world. That we have a great responsibility. God, I pray that you would just touch hearts as only you can. Father, if there's one here that does not know you as their own personal Savior, God, I pray that they'd put their faith and trust in you today. God, that they could be heaven-bound. But God, I pray for those of us who are saved to have faith in our service, faith in our ability to help, to reach, to give hope by a deed, by a word, by our actions, by our life. God, may we see ourselves as the answer, not in an arrogant way, but God as the single most important resource in moving people to you. I pray that you'd speak to hearts as only you can. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. As the piano begins to play, if God's spoken to your heart, the altar's open. These disciples took an active part. A kind, compassionate, concerted effort concentrated effort. It's what it's going to take to reach the world as Christians all working together to get the gospel to the lost and dying world.